0: Don't hit your sister! The following is a production of Don't Hit Your Sister Recordings, created and produced by Sumner McCain. It ain't right. 400 grand. It ain't right. What do you mean? Come on. This ain't the right train. Elmer, don't you tell me. Hold on. You gotta stop whining. 400 grand, boys. Let's go. Elmer. Elmer McCurdy had learned that on October 4th, 1911, a Katy train carrying $400,000 would steam through Okessa, Oklahoma. Elmer and two companions planned on robbing the Katy in what would be their biggest heist yet. In what was actually dubbed as the smallest train robbery in train robbery history, Elmer and the boys walked away with 46 bucks and two bottles of whiskey. It would also prove to be Elmer's final bumbled train robbery as he would be shot dead two days later by a sheriff and his posse. Elmer was known in the Missouri and Kansas area as a dim-witted criminal, but it wasn't until he died that he became known nationwide. This is the story of Elmer McCurdy, the bandit from Maine who wouldn't be taken alive. Elmer McCurdy was born to 17-year-old Sadie McCurdy in 1880 in rural Washington, Maine. Sadie wasn't entirely sure who Elmer's father was, so to save her the shame and embarrassment of having an illegitimate child, Sadie's brother George and his wife Helen adopted Elmer and raised him for the next 10 years. Elmer would grow up calling George and Helen dad and mom and calling Sadie aunt Sadie. George McCurdy died of tuberculosis in 1890, at which point Sadie, Helen, and Elmer moved to Bangor. And it was sometime after the move to Bangor that Sadie told Elmer that she was actually his mother, she didn't know who his father was, and that George and Helen were actually his uncle and aunt. Elmer was a teenager at this point and he didn't take the news lightly. Instead he went a little berserk, perhaps as any late 18th century angst ridden teenager might have done. Elmer became very defiant and a little rebellious. He also began drinking heavily, a habit which he would pursue from time to time until the day he died. It was at this time that Elmer also decided to move away from Bangor and head out on the open road. My mother, my father, my my mother, my After leaving home, Elmer drifted his way around the eastern United States. He was usually able to find work along his way. He was a lead miner in Missouri and a plumber in Kansas. And apparently when he was sober, he was an able worker. However, Elmer didn't like being sober, and he would ultimately lose his jobs. Hey! Hey, you! McCurdy, get out of here! I've had it with you! <laughs> okay, boss. Sorry. Elmer continued to drift around Kansas, unemployed and intoxicated, until 1905, when his drifting led him to the small town of Lola. <laughs> Elmer wasn't long in Lola when the local sheriff welcomed him with an arrest for public intoxication. All right, that's enough for you. Well, that's a fine How do you do not Get in there, boy. I not do anything. Upon his release, the open road called to Elmer once again. This time, he found himself in Missouri, where he would spend the next two years staggering about and working odd jobs. While he was in Missouri, he did do some soul-searching. And he thought to himself, I need to move back to Kansas and join the Army. Which he did in 1907. Elmer spent three years at Fort Leavenworth training to be a machine gun operator. Also worth noting, Leavenworth was where Elmer learned how to use nitroglycerin for demolition purposes. The extent of Elmer's nitroglycerin training is unknown but we will soon find out it was minimal at best. After Elmer was honorably discharged from the Army on November 7th in 1910, he relocated to St. Joseph, Missouri, where he hooked up with an old buddy he'd met in the Lola Jail. One week later, the two were arrested for possessing burglary tools, nitroglycerin, hacksaws, gunpowder, and money sacks. Elmer insisted that the tools were being used for a machine gun that he was inventing. Go ahead, Mr. Mercury. you got to believe me. It's for a Mm -hmm. gun that I'm inventing. Um, Right. You fire it with Mm -hmm. your feet. Uh, Elmer did spend a little time in jail, but he was found innocent in January of 1911. Upon his release, he started to think to himself, I should really start thinking of a way to maybe get some money. Train robbery. So he relocated yet again, this time to Lenape, Oklahoma. He decided that robbing trains would be an easy way to make some quick cash. He'd also picked up some new skills in the St. Joseph jail. Elmer's first attempt would be on the Iron Mountain-Missouri-Pacific train that reportedly had a safe that contained $4,000 in silver coins. So on a night in March of 1911, Elmer gathered up a couple friends, hiked out to the tracks, and waited for the train. When the train came through, Elmer and the boys successfully stopped it. They climbed on board, they found the safe, and they put Elmer's explosives training to use. To get the safe open, Elmer placed nitroglycerin around its door. Elmer not only used enough nitroglycerin to open the safe door, but also to blow the safe into pieces, which meant they weren't able to get the $4,000 in silver coins, but they did get $450, most of which had fused itself to the inside of the safe due to the extreme heat during the explosion. A few months later... Elmer and two others would try this same method to get into the safe in the Citizens Bank in Chautauqua, Kansas. They managed to get into the bank after hours of smashing the outside wall with hammers, and once inside, Elmer lined the outside door to the safe with nitroglycerin. He used enough nitroglycerin to open the door and also send it through the bank, destroying the interior of the bank. The safe behind the door, however, remained intact and locked. Elmer would use more nitro to open the safe, but for some reason it wouldn't ignite. He gave up pretty quickly, considering there were some coins scattered around on the outside of the safe. He grabbed those, and he thought that would suffice since he couldn't get into the real money. After the somewhat unsuccessful heist at the Citizens Bank... That night, after hopping a train to the Kansas border, Elmer and his crew parted ways. Elmer ended up at a friend's ranch in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. He stayed in the hay shed and waited for his next big score. And while he waited, he drank heavily. The opportunity for the big score came a couple weeks later when the Katy train that was carrying $400,000 would steam through the neighboring town of Okessa. The $400,000 was intended to be royalty payments for the Osage tribe. Whether or not Elmer knew this is unknown, and it probably wouldn't have mattered if he had known it. So on the night of October 4th, Elmer and two accomplices trudged out to the tracks and they waited for the cave. Right, yeah. This is a nice little spot. Awful nice. I stepped in a great big puddle back oh. there. Elmer had my boots all wet. muddy do Yeah, I don't think this is a wrecked train. Train, train, They got onto the tracks and they successfully stopped Train. They didn't find the $400,000 though after they climbed on board. Instead, they found passengers. Do you have any money? It they was not the, the Katie, money, yeah. it was a passenger train, and it didn't even have a safe. Any money at all? They did manage to steal $46 from the mail clerk, a coat, a revolver, the conductor's watch, and two demijohns of whiskey. Elmer drank his disheartenedness away while he walked back to his friend's ranch. He polished off pretty much a whole bottle by himself and then threw the bottle on the trail. Upon arriving back at the ranch, he commenced to drink for the next day into the night. He was likely still drunk that next morning when he woke up to find a posse of sheriffs outside his door with their guns drawn. They'd used bloodhounds to sniff out Elmer's whereabouts. And considering Elmer was pickled and leaving empty bottles behind, it wasn't too hard for the dogs to stay on his trail. That morning, October 7th, 1911, after an hour long shootout, Elmer was found dead in the hay shed. He'd been shot in the chest once, which he had taken lying down. Who well, do you suppose it was, Sheldon? We was all shooting. Could have been you, Stringer, me. I know. Suppose the only thing to do is take him to yeah, Joe's. Let's take him. <laughs> The sheriffs took McCurdy's body to the Johnson Funeral Home in Pahuska, Oklahoma, where Joe Johnson embalmed it with an arsenic-based preservative that was intended to preserve the body for a long period of time, which it did. Now, this is where Elmer's story gets really interesting and a little weird. After Joseph Johnson embalmed Elmer's body, he refused to bury him until someone paid him for his work. It had been some time, and Elmer continued to lay unclaimed. So, trying to scheme a way to get some money for his embalming, Johnson shaved Elmer's face, he put him in a suit, and put a rifle in his hands. And for a nickel, which would be placed in Elmer's mouth, Johnson allowed folks to sneak a peek at the bandit who wouldn't give up. At least that's what Elmer's sign read. Elmer's body became quite popular in the area and eventually began to attract carnival promoters. They'd offered to buy Elmer, but Johnson always refused because thanks to Elmer, not only was Johnson's work getting exposure, Johnson's funeral home was generating a lot of attention and making a little bit of money. However, almost five years to the day that Elmer was shot, Joe Johnson received a phone call. Funeral Home. That's Joseph L. Johnson speaking. Yeah, hello, uh, good sir. Uh, I'm calling in regard to that fella you got standing up, uh, that corpse there, that dead body you have on display. He is indeed my brother. Mm. I'd surely like to take him home and give him a proper burial. The man on the phone, who called himself Aver, arrived at Joe Johnson's funeral home with a friend, who also was claiming to be Elmer's brother. They told Johnson that they were going to ship Elmer to San Francisco to be buried. But instead, they put Elmer on a train to Arkansas City, Arkansas. Aver and his companion Elmer's so-called brothers were actually not Elmer's brothers at all they were James and Charles Patterson owners of the great Patterson carnival shows the Patterson boys scheme had worked and Elmer would now be a feature in the traveling carnival they promoted Elmer as the burglar who would never be taken alive Elmer toured the country with the Pattersons until 1922 when the carnival was sold to Louis Sonny who would use Elmer's body in his traveling show The Museum of Crime. Sonny mainly used wax figures for his outlaws and criminals. Elmer was the only feature not made from wax. In 1928, Sonny loaned Elmer out to be part of a sideshow that traveled with the Trans-American Foot Race. At this point, Elmer's body had traveled extensively. And then in 1933, Elmer's body was purchased by a film director named Dwayne Hesper, who would use Elmer's corpse to promote his film called Narcotic. There's going to be nothing left. Hydro, we're going to get lit. Lena here will be leaping all over the place. (laughs) It takes a needle for me to get a bang. To that, Why, one and this pistol... Elmer would be placed in the lobby of theaters as a dope fiend who had killed himself. Joe Johnson's embalming had held up really well up to this point. However, Elmer's skin was starting to look hardened and shriveled. Dwayne Esper would simply tell the audience that... <coughs> yeah. You see, folks, it's all the drugs that this fella took that made his skin shriveling. Dwayne Hesper died in 1949, and Elmer's body was then placed in a storage facility in Los Angeles. Elmer did get to see the light of day again, however, in 1967, when filmmaker David Friedman used him in his film She-Freak. She's a low evil man. Sonny, the owner of the Traveling Museum of Crime, had sold off all his wax figures in Elmer for $10,000 to Spoonie Singh, the owner of a wax museum in Hollywood. Elmer and a couple other wax figures were shipped to Mount Rushmore, where they were displayed in another sort of Western crime exhibition. While Elmer was at Mount Rushmore, his body was damaged. He had lost his fingers and his toes and the tips of his ears in a strong windstorm. Looking too gruesome to display at Mount Rushmore, Elmer was then shipped back to Hollywood and sold to Ed Leersch, part owner of the Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach, California. In 1976, Leersch hung Elmer's corpse in the Laugh in the Dark Funhouse exhibit at the Pike. In December of that same year, a television crew was filming an episode of The Six Million Dollar Man at the Pike, in the Laugh in the Dark Funhouse. One of the crew members bumped into what seemed to be a wax mannequin hanging from a gallows. The bump had caused the mannequin's arm to fall off, oh, whoops. and when it did, what the... it wasn't wax that was inside, instead it was human bone and muscle tissue. Whoa! Hey! Come have a look at this! Coroner's tests had revealed that the corpse was male, he had been shot in the chest, and it contained an arsenic-based embalming fluid that was used in the 1920s. Coroners also found a 1924 penny and a ticket stub for Sonny's Museum of Crime in the mouth of the corpse. After investigators contacted Dan Sonny, it was confirmed that the body was that of one Mr. Elmer McCurdy. None of Elmer's family members came forward to claim the body. So the chief medical examiner of Los Angeles County allowed the body to be shipped to Oklahoma and buried. That following spring, a funeral procession transported Elmer to Summit View Cemetery in Guthrie, Oklahoma. His graveside service was attended by roughly 300 people. And to make certain that Elmer's body would never be disturbed again, Two feet of concrete were poured around his casket. Rest in peace, Elmer McCurdy. You deserve it. ¶¶ don't hit your sister recordings. Created and produced by Sumner McCain.